This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso. At the Supreme Court on Monday, insurers won a $12 billion fight over Obamacare payments. In an 8-to-1 decision, the court said the federal government will have to pay health insurers as promised to cover some of the losses they incurred by providing risky policies under Obamacare. During oral arguments, Justice Stephen Breyer compared the issue to one first-year law students would be taught. Day one of contracts. Jack Dawson, I say to you, my hat's on the flagpole. If you bring it down, I'll pay you $10. You bring it down, I owe you $10. Now, how does this differ? It did differ. And, and if, it, if it didn't differ. So why does the government not have to pay its contracts just like anybody else? Joining me is Abby Gluck, a professor at Yale Law School. What's the significance of this decision by the court? Well, June, it's a really exciting decision for a couple of reasons. One, you've got eight justices, and really nine, because Justice Alito's dissent was on different procedural grounds, upholding the legitimacy of the Affordable Care Act and telling Congress that it has to stand by its promises to pay the many private implementers it has tasked to implement the law. It's an acknowledgement of how much the Affordable Care Act relies on the insurance industry and the importance of keeping its promises to it. So let's go back and explain what these insurers were suing over. So when the Affordable Care Act was enacted, it put in place several funding streams that were designed to stabilize the insurance markets. This was to attract insurers into the Affordable Care Act market during those first three transitional years. The program at issue in this case, the Risk Corridors Program, is one of those stabilization funds. And the way it was supposed to work was that for the first three years, insurers' profits and losses were going to be limited, so they wouldn't be taking too much risk. They set target amounts. If they made too much, they put money back in. If they made too little, they were supposed to get paid out by the government. It turned out that insurers actually made less money than anticipated in the first several years of the law, in part because the Obama administration let people keep their old insurance plans if they wanted to, and that wasn't factored into the economic analyses. And so HHS had to pay out more than it took in. It decided to do this, and the Republican senators at the time who were trying to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act on other grounds started yelling that this was an insurance bailout and had to be stopped, even though the statute doesn't say that this insurance risk corridor program has to be budget neutral. So Senator Marco Rubio proposed a rider to an appropriations bill saying HHS could not make these extra payments. And the insurers sued saying the Affordable Care Act promised them with the words shall pay in the statute this money that they were denied. It seems that this is a pretty clear case for the insurers. Yet the Federal Circuit ruled that Congress had the right not to appropriate the funds. How did they come to that ruling? Well, the lower courts divided, and part of the issue in this case is whether Congress could expressly or impliedly repeal an obligation that it made very explicitly in the text of the statute. And what the Supreme Court said was, no, you can't use an appropriations rider, sort of a sideways approach, to impliedly repeal a clear textual commitment on which the insurance industry relied. The other thing I would emphasize, June, is that this is a $12 billion case. The former Solicitor General of the United States, Paul Clement, who argued some of the earlier Affordable Care Act cases, interestingly enough, on the other side, has said several times that you don't see a lot of $12 billion cases at all. And here we are with the Affordable Care Act back in the Supreme Court. And it just shows you how much money is at stake in the law and how important it's become to the economy. 
Justice Samuel Alito dissented, as you mentioned. He called it a massive bailout for insurers that took a calculated risk and lost. Do you agree with him? I take it not. No, I do not think this is a bailout for the insurance industry. The insurance industry was promised a payment in the text of the Affordable Care Act. Congress tried to, in a sideways fashion, rescind on that promise on which hundreds of insurers relied in entering the law. Many insurers went bankrupt. We had those cooperatives that fell apart in the first several years of the law. And in part, it was likely because they didn't receive these payments. and They may receive them now, but it's going to be too late. Will this help to stabilize the ACA in any way, either financially or legally? So, you know, there are insurers who have liability payments owed from that time, and these payments are likely to help them. The insurance markets have widely stabilized. A ruling like this is only likely to help the Affordable Care Act because it actually shows us that the Supreme Court is standing behind the laws enacted. It views the laws legitimate, and it's going to require Congress to make good on what it's promised. The Affordable Care Act relies on private industry in an extraordinary way, especially the insurance industry. And the stabilization of the markets require the insurers to be able to trust that the government is going to do what it promised it would do. This decision helps to enforce that statement. Next week, there's a challenge from religious objectors over contraceptive coverage under the Affordable Care Act. Does that mean there'll be an eight to one decision in that case as well? Or is that a different ballgame? Yeah, I think it's a different ballgame. I would be uh, wary of overreading the importance of the case to say, oh, the Supreme Court now loves the Affordable Care Act and is always going to uphold it. Don't forget that in the fall, we have a huge existential challenge to the existence of the entire law in the case California versus Texas, where we've got about 18 states uh, and the Department of Justice seeking to bring the entire Affordable Care Act down. Contraception cases implicate different things. They're not about promises to insurers. They're about the kind of accommodation process for religious employers who don't want to provide birth control and other things to their employees. So they're kind of apples and oranges. But I do think that over time, we have seen the Supreme Court with bigger and bigger majorities enforcing the law as written and accepting the law's existence as legitimate, which is something President Trump just refuses to do. Here, the court wouldn't let the government back out of promises it made to private entities. Is that a principle that extends beyond this case? So the legal principle that goes farther than this case on that question is how it is that Congress can make promises to outside entities. Going into this case, there was some question about whether Congress had to actually appropriate the funds to make that contractual obligation binding. And in this case, the court said, no, actually, every once in a while, Congress can just bind itself with very strong and clear statutory language regardless of whether it appropriates the money. Here, the Affordable Care Act says in no uncertain terms in Section 1342 that Congress shall pay this money for the risk corridor program. The court made a big deal of that word shall, as it often does in these kinds of cases. And that's a principle that will extend over time. Thanks for being on Bloomberg Law, Abby. That's Abby Gluck, a professor at Yale Law School. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.